My friends of Christ, any way you look at it, the readings for these recent Sundays have been a full-court press, and today's are no exception. The prophet Amos set the stage and the tone. Amos was prophesying during the long reign of King Jeroboam. It was a time of great economic prosperity for the kingdom of Israel. Not unlike our time, the wealthy had become super wealthy and were living luxurious lifestyles miles ahead of the poor. Along with their high living came a kind of, of moral obtuseness, a selfish isolation, and a steady collapse of moral standards. The great commandments of God's law about practicing justice and caring for the poor, the widows, and the orphans were all but forgotten. The rich grew richer, the poor grew poorer. That's the context for today's passage from Amos, where we heard him railing against the comfortable and the complacent, lying upon their beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches, drinking wine from giant goblets and anointing themselves with the best oils. Later in the prophecy, Amos will issue a stern warning that those who amass their fortunes and balance their books on the backs of the poor will one day be held to account by God. The reading from Amos was perfectly paired with the parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. Did you notice that the poor man of the parable has a name, Lazarus, but the rich man goes nameless? This is surprising because who do you know better? Melinda French Gates, Jeff Bezos, or the beggar on the street corner? We tend to know the rich person's name, don't we? The poor ones, maybe not so much. But in Jesus' parable, it's the poor man who has a name, while the rich man goes unnamed. There has to be a message there. Not that the poor are more important than the rich, no, but the message could be that the poor who often go nameless do, in fact, have names, and maybe we ought to get to learn them. It's worth noting, too, that in the parable, it's from the rich man that we learn the poor man's name. Father Abraham, he said, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am suffering in these flames. The sad thing is that it is only after he died that the rich man actually used Lazarus' name. When he was alive, while Lazarus lay in misery at his door, the rich man didn't bother with his name. He looked the other way. And we're left wondering, if the rich man had bothered to call Lazarus by name, would he have come to perhaps regard him as a brother, a fellow human being, and not just that beggar at the door? We don't know, of course. All we do know is that his ignoring of Lazarus had more than passing consequences. It had eternal consequences. My friends, this story touches us in a most personal way. Many of us are that rich man. I know I am. And I know that Seattle has one of the highest median, in, median incomes of all the major cities in this country. So this parable is timely. And many of you take it very much to heart. 
you do. You not only don't ignore the Lazarus you meet on the street, you actually go out to meet him or her, and you do everything you can to minister to Lazarus as you volunteer at the Cathedral Kitchen, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, a housing advocacy committee, the immigrant assistance program, or you make sandwiches for the poor and homeless. You call Lazarus by name, and you minister to him. And some of you who are blessed with considerable, considerable means and who might be expected to line up with the rich man of the parable, you are not at all like him. You are aware of the plight of Lazarus. You don't look the other way. Instead, you very intentionally commit significant resources to reach out to him. But Lazarus is not only at our personal doorstep, my friends. He is also at the world's doorstep. There is a global Lazarus. No one has been more outspoken about this than Pope Francis. In so many ways, he personally witnesses to the tragic plight of thousands of migrants and refugees and asylum seekers who are fleeing war, terrorism, and poverty. And he has challenged the world community to reach out to these suffering brothers and sisters with aid and asylum and hospitality. But as you know, his is not always a very popular message. It's highly controversial. And from too many of our leaders and politicians, instead of hospitable and welcoming words, we hear exclusionary words, harsh and heartless words, words calculated to stir up fear, fear of the other, fear of the foreigner, fear of Lazarus. We should be grateful for Pope Francis. For him, this is about morality, not politics. To quote him, these are our brothers and sisters. They are not pawns on the chessboard of humanity. They are not disposable. Their cry rises up to God. We must find ways to welcome them. My friends, I'm aware of the complexity of this issue, but welcoming the stranger and reaching out to people fleeing for their lives is basic humanity, and it is in our DNA as Christians, from as far back as the Holy Family's flight into Egypt. And in the swirl of overheated rhetoric, as we form our consciences about what is the right thing, the moral thing, with regard to immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, we will do well to remember that they want the same things we do, and the same things our parents and grandparents wanted when they came to this land. They want safe haven for themselves and their children, freedom, food, shelter, medical care, a way to make a living, a place to call home. My friends, Lazarus is at our door, and it matters mightily whether we care for him or her. It matters now, and it matters eternally.